it, it is, of course, good to see you. I feel like the weather on Sunday mornings has, continues to be awful, um, and uh, yet uh, y'all continue to come, so I'm just excited to, to see you here and glad to be here with you. Uh, hello to those watching online. Um, it's kind of an exciting time, I think, for our church. You continue to see that we're, we continue to be kind of full, um, and so when you get here early, uh, what you need to do is sit in the back and sit tight and make all the late people sit up front. No. Uh, but uh, on, on a serious note, though, if, you know, some of our leaders and stuff like that, I told some of our leaders this past week, like, take the cheap seats. Um, take the, the seats that are, are, aren't as great right now. Um, we are praying about what it might look like for two services. Uh, but just so you know, um, that may be a little while off just because we have, a, we have a lot of serve teams and a lot of people, and we need more people serving and, and, and helping. But my goal is never to burn people out or do anything like that. Um, but uh, so we want to make sure we have the right teams in place, and um, we're ready to do that when the time comes. But I'm excited for what God is doing here in our church. There are some opportunities uh, that I kind of want to get in front of you um, that are really important to me. Uh, and so I'm going to do some announcements. I don't always do announcements before sermons. I've done some more this, this year uh, just to make sure that you know what's going on. Um, and so here's a couple that I want you to know about that are really important for us. Uh, the first is our marriage retreat. Um, and so our marriage retreat's March 1st and 2nd. And here's what I need you to do is I need you to uh, book your room uh, for the marriage retreat. Is, is there, we, we, we not have the, huh, I must have gotten the wrong slides up earlier. Okay, so there's marriage retreat, and here's how you can book those rooms, is that on the back of your seats there, uh, there are the QR codes. Click that and get our e-birth. You need our e-birth. The reason you want to sign up for this sooner rather than later is we got a pretty good rate on hotel rooms, and so the rate disappears on February 9th, so you want to get that rate. If money is a problem uh, for the marriage retreat, let us know. We will help you out. We'll waive the, the registration fee that we are kind of charging as a church to help make sure that we have everything that we need. Um, but also, we'll try to get you in a hotel room if you, if you need that and desire that. We want to help marriages thrive and grow in relationships. The second thing um, I want to announce is that my wife and I kind of decided, decided last minute that we're going to go to Guatemala on a mission trip, and we are inviting you. Uh, so if you want to come, young people, you can come. Uh, anybody can come on this, but we only have eight spots. And so if that is something that you're interested in doing July 4th through the 11th this summer, um, my wife and I are going. We're going with a, a, a great group of people. Um, we're going with a group of Al from people from Alabama. Um, we're personally friends with the missionary down there. He does a fantastic job with groups, and the work he is doing in Guatemala, I think, is incredible. Um, would love for you to be a part of that. If you're just interested and you're not sure yet, um, which probably is like everybody because I'm just announcing it, uh, Emily will be in the kids' room, which is right back here, right after the service. You can join her and ask her some questions. I'll come back after I get done doing what I'm doing and ask me any questions as well. Um, and so you, again, can sign up and register for that on our eBurst. Uh, third is our, our youth parent meeting. Uh, this is after church. Um, uh, immediately following the church, we have a growing student ministry. And if you have any questions about our student ministry, go, go and be a part of that. That's in the youth room. And then last but not least, next week we are doing group sign-ups. You see this map over here? Our goal is to have uh, 24 Catalyst communities and 24 D groups by the end of the year. And you'll hear why here in a little bit, why we want to make sure that we emphasize our groups. We're trying to have groups basically that cover this map here all throughout um, the area. So we're going to begin signing up for those next week. If you're interested in being leader, Josh Zacchaeus will be right over here after the service, and uh, he can use you 
um, we can use you to help further our mission. There's a lot happening in our church. That's why we announce it. Um, it's part of what we do and who we are. Uh, it's not, this is like announcements aren't just like something kind of the throw away. Um, we believe that God is at work in what we are doing as we come together to spread the gospel and to accomplish our mission. And that's what this morning is about, is me talking about the mission of the church. And we want to keep on mission as a church. And so I'm going to let you in on a little bit of that this morning. So if you're visiting this morning, great. You get to hear a, a little bit about what we do and why we do it. Here's our mission summed up. Here's our mission statement. Love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus so that we might expand God's kingdom. Now, the reason we do this is, is really simple. It's because of the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. I'm going to read you the Great Commission. These, these are like Jesus' parting words here to the church before he ascends to be with the Father after the resurrection. And so this is what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And it says, Jesus came to them and said, he came, he came, he's appearing to his apostles, to his disciples here, and he says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. So the command, this is a command, this is an imperative, this is a thing that Jesus says you, you, have, you, you need to be doing and you have to be doing at the end of his life is to go and make disciples. And not only that, what he promises here is really interesting. He says, while, while you go and do that, he says, I promise to be, doing the, be with you in that activity. Like, while you are making disciples. He actually repeats himself again in a different way, um, or Luke kind of almost records it in a different way. Everybody's kind of hanging out. They're, they're talking to Jesus, and he's about to uh, ascend, and the church is about to explode. And Jesus tells them, he says, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And this is in Acts verse 1 to 8. He says, if, while you go out and be my witnesses to all the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's when he says he's going to be most present when we are going to tell and teach of the power of the resurrection and the saving and sanctifying faith that, can, that, that happens when we believe in and trust in Jesus. And so he's telling his disciples this, he's telling his uh, followers that you need to go and make disciples. The word disciple, or let me say this, the, uh, uh, um, uh, the, yeah, the word disciple, or being called a disciple, is basically mentioned about 200, not about, it, has, it is, 269 times in the Bible. And so followers of Jesus, let me say it this way, followers of Jesus are called disciples 269 times in the New Testament. That is what followers of Jesus are called more than anything else. Second place, comes in second place, are brothers and sisters. And so other words, like there's this familial uh, uh, um, identity that brothers and or that Christians are given, and it's brothers and sisters. And kind of third place are, are saints, this idea that you're holy people set aside to know God and do the work of God. Do you know how many times followers of Jesus are called Christians in the New Testament? Three. Three. And actually, they were called Christians by outside people. And, and so eventually, followers of Jesus take on the identity or name of Christians. This happens like after the first century. It happens towards the end of the first century. They start to be called Christians. And followers of Jesus, they start to call themselves Christian after that. And, and they're fine with that name, 
but the identity that they take on is actually being a disciple in the New Testament. That's actually what they called one another. That's actually what they saw themselves as. And so as followers of Jesus, we should ask ourselves, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, a disciple or an apprentice is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under the appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. And so a disciple, a, a synonym of disciple is apprentice, but here's what they do. They're with another person, they do what that person does, and they become like that person. Jesus devoted himself to making disciples. He devoted himself to calling people to be with him. He taught them to do what he did, and then he wanted them to become like him so that people could see and experience God's kingdom, so that they could come under God's rule, so that they could see God's goodness. This is how after he comes out of the desert and in his time of fasting and prayer, how he begins his ministry is by calling people to do this very thing. Let me show you what Jesus does here in Matthew 4, 18 through 20. So Jesus is walking by beside the Sea of Galilee. So he's out for a stroll. He's getting ready to, to start his ministry here. And this is what he does. He, saw, he sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they're casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And here's what he tells them. He says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. In other words, come follow me and I'm going to make you, I'm going to have you make other disciples and have you call other people to follow me and watch this, what they do. It says, at once they left their nets and they followed him. Now what I'm most struck by this is, is like the force of the call. We can't really, we don't really know exactly what happened or what it looked like, but we do know how they responded. We know how Peter responded. We know how Andrew responded. And, and it's pretty incredible. They dropped their nets. They left everything, and they followed Jesus. Their occupations, potentially their hobbies, their homes, like they, they, they laid it all at Jesus' feet, and they're following Jesus at this point. Now, our call in our lives, when Jesus comes to follow him, probably is not to necessarily leave everything behind like that. It might be for some of you. But rather, it is to make Jesus Lord of over everything that we're already doing. Jesus has the same force when he calls us to follow him as he would here. Like it, it's one that we have to respond to when he calls us to come and follow him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he, he puts this in his book. He says this in his book. He says, discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. In other words, you don't see Simon and Andrew actually coming up to Jesus and saying, hey, can we follow you? You actually see Jesus. You see Jesus taking divine initiative. He goes to Andrew and Peter, and he says, hey, I want you to follow me. And for all of you, like, I, I want you to consider this for a moment. That even if you're probably considering following Jesus, or if you've ever had that call on your life, a lot of us, like, we like to take responsibility for that. 
but here's what I, I believe that God is at work in your life calling you to follow him. That, that if you've ever heard that, that has not been initiated by you. It's initiated by God. But the second thing I want you to notice here for both Peter and Andrew is it's non-negotiable. And this is one of the points that Bonhoeffer is making here. Like we, we don't really get to decide whether or not we're going to be a disciple of Jesus. Like you can't go kind of halfway in. Like there's not a bargaining process. And you actually see people throughout the New Testament doing this, trying to bargain for Jesus. And he's basically kind of like, maybe next time then. Um, and kind of walks off, which you actually be like, Jesus, wait, wait, wait a second. Like can't they just like keep this or keep that? And he's like, like it's all or, or, or nothing here. Like come and follow me. And, and I understand, by the way, like why anybody would want to negotiate with Jesus in this calling. It, it makes sense. I mean, we've all actually done it. Let's be honest. We've all done it because there are, there are real challenges to being a disciple of Jesus. And, and Jesus is okay with this. He, he doesn't hide this reality in the Gospels. He doesn't, he doesn't hide this reality to the people that he calls, actually. Like, in fact, he creates some tension when he calls you to follow him. His, his own disciples felt this. Look at what he, t- what he tells them. He says this is to his disciples in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel in verse 24. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Like, imagine that for a second. Like, th- that, that was part of Jesus' evangelistic process is to tell people, to, to follow me, you have to deny the self. I mean, like, who, who is saying that right now in the world? Like, hey, to, to come be a part of this, like, you're going to have to give up some of yourself. Like, it's the opposite of what we are being told. Like, we, what we're being told kind of by the world is, like, you don't have to give up anything. Not only, like, some pastors, you don't have to give up anything to, to, to follow Jesus. You don't have to give up anything to experience life. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. You're like, you can have everything all the time and be satisfied. You can be anything. That's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of the message. And, and so as, as modern people, I, I look at this and I'm like, this is very offensive to our modern sensibilities. For Jesus to tell us, wait, for you to have to follow me, you're going to have to give up allegiance to self? The point that Bonhoeffer is trying to make to a certain extent in the cost of discipleship in his book is that following Jesus does cost us something. For Bonhoeffer and his contemporaries, it was, it was, he's telling them, like, it's going to cost you favor with the government. It, the, the Nazi party was on the rise. I think it, came out, I think it was published in 1937. And, and he's saying, this, this is going to cost you following Jesus. And he's calling the church back because they were capitulating with everything that was going on. They were, they were allowing the, the, the church that was already kind of state run to be taken over. And he's, he's telling them to, to hit the brakes. But not only that, I mean, the Germans were nationally embarrassed after World War I. And, and so another thing that he's telling them is like, this is going to cost you your national pride. Like to, 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 to actually follow Jesus you are going to have to be different than your contemporaries, is what he's trying to tell them. To live out the Sermon on the Mount, you are going to look different. And more than anything, seven years later, after publishing this book, he's put into prison 
and then he's executed and he's killed. It, it, it cost Dietrich Bonhoeffer his life. Like, I'm always in awe when I begin to read about the history of, of Christianity and, and how it started. Because early Christians, like their faith was so real and it was so durable. Um, I began, I picked up a book uh, the other day because I just keep hearing like people talk about it and I hadn't read it and it's by a historian um, and not necessarily a Christian historian, it's just by a Christ, uh, historian named Tom Holland and it's called Dominion. And uh, the, the subtitle is How the Christian Revolution Made the World. And uh, I'm just into kind of through the first couple centuries here, the first century. And he writes about how Christians, after the resurrection of Christ and the spread of Christianity throughout the known world, are continually persecuted and scapegoated. They're thrown into the Colosseums. They're, they're, they're crucified. They're tortured. And, and over and over again. So few of them recant. And that's all they had to do to, to uh, avoid it. Why? Because they identify with Jesus. They, they identified with his suffering. But not only that, they, they trusted in the power of his resurrection. I mean, they were so sold out to Jesus that they were willing to die just like he did. I mean, that's incredible. And, and to be honest, like as I lead a church, as I think about my own life, like I want that kind of, I honestly want that kind of faith at the end of the day. And, and then sometimes I, I question if I have it, right? I mean, I mean, who wouldn't? I, I want to lead a church of people that are moving towards that kind of faith or have that kind of faith. Tom Holland's thesis basically for the book is that beliefs in Christianity has largely shaped our world for the better today. And a lot of people either they don't realize it or they've just forgotten it. And so here's what he argues, basically. He says, if, if you believe in human rights, the equal dignity of every person, the value of the poor and the weak, the necessity for caring and advocating for all, that love for others is one of the noblest ethics, forgiving others is necessary. And if you believe in moral absolutes, that some things are good and others are evil, he says, basically, like all of these things that we kind of take for granted in the Western world come from the Christian way of life and come from Christians, especially early on, really believing that Jesus is both light and salt to the nations. And not just with a message, but the way they live their lives and being willing to live their lives for all of those things in spite of their own peril. There's another book, um, that kind of talks about discipleship on a personal level that I, I find really interesting and, and very helpful as well. And um, it's a book that Dallas Willard has written on discipleship. And in it, he has a section on it called The Cost of Non-Discipleship. So not only is there a cost to discipleship, or could, there can be a real cost to discipleship, but he writes about the cost of non-discipleship. In other words, like what's the cost of not following Jesus? And here's what he says, and he says, we need to be talking about this more, and, and we do. It's, it's beautiful. Look what he says. He says, non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in, li in light of God's overriding guidance for good, 
hopefulness that stands firm in the midst of the most discouraging circumstances, power to, what is do, to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs us exactly the abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. Returning to Jesus challenging people and what it means to be a disciple, in Matthew 16, he says this in verse 25. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, not following Jesus will cost you as well. It'll cost you peace. It'll cost you goodness. It'll cost you purpose. It'll cost you direction. It'll cost you love. It'll cost you hope. It will actually cost you finding your true self that we think we can find on our own. You know, following Jesus is more than figuring out how to die. Jesus taught that. Don't get me wrong. But what really Jesus is inviting us into is he's, he's trying to teach us how to live. He's trying to teach us how to live. And that's why as I, I talk about our mission here, our, our mission isn't to build a bigger church. Our, our mission actually isn't even to, to make converts. I, becoming a Christian certainly begins there. Like you have to place your faith in Jesus. You, you have to do that. Uh, our mission is, is not to boost some type of membership role or anything like that, but it's, it's to make disciples. It's for us to see Jesus as our teacher like, and our source of life, for us to actually follow him and, and to believe that he is, a, he is a good teacher and to teach others how to follow them. And so my challenge for, for all of you this morning as we think about our mission and, and you know, if you're a, a part of our congregation or thinking about of our, our, being a part of our congregation is that as we make disciples, we first have to see ourselves as disciples. That has, to be, that has to be our identity. So we're told that the early Christians called each other disciples or referred themselves as disciples 269 times. Out of the 269 times that uh, Christians are called disciples or followers of Jesus are called disciples, 267 of them are all nouns. In other words, that's how, like, that's how you're described. Like, that's who you are. It's what you are actually even before what you do. And so you are a student of Jesus. Like, that's how, that's, how, that's how the early Christians saw themselves, as apprentices of Jesus. So not, when I say student, right, we're not just sitting in a, a building like this and looking forward and thinking, okay, about what did Jesus do? And, oh, that's neat, or what did he teach? It's then, how do, I, how do I go out and I make it my responsibility to make it my identity so that I am living, loving, acting like, becoming like, like, like Jesus in all of my life, doing what Jesus did. That's, that's part of our goal. That's what we want to do, and that's who we want to be. And so that's what I want to kind of lead you in, and that's a, a, a bedrock of our mission as a church. So here's kind of the question for me as I'm trying to lead people in this and trying to figure out this myself is what does it look like to be a Christian then, right? What, what does a Christian do? Um, what, what do they kind of look like? Like if I could put somebody up here and say this is what it, I would put like Mimi up here, Mimi Klotz right up here and I would say this is what a, a Christian looks like, Okay. Uh, Pastor Nate. Pastor Nate's a great, I love Pastor Nate. Like, I, when I grow up, I want to be like Pastor Nate. Um, 
like this is what a this is what a Christian looks like here. So we, my point is, is I need we, we need to figure out as a church if our job is to make disciples. Not only do I want to encourage you to make that your identity, but like what does it look like? Like what's our goal as a church? What do we want people uh, to to look like? Pastor Nate's also in great shape. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but um, I gotta rag on a little bit. Um, and, and so we could, like, I could throw something out there and I could show you, like, what this person should look like or whatever. Um, but there's actually been kind of other people who've already done this for me. I'm not, I don't need to recreate the will. And there's actually been studies done on this. So LifeWay has done a study on this and it's helped us as a church try to figure out, okay, what, how do we want to move people in a particular di- direction? Because let's be honest here. Like, none of our lives look exactly like Jesus's right now. Like, none of them are perfect. And, and so... For, for us as a church, like how are, how, are we, yeah, how are we making Jesus Lord and moving in that direction and trying to look like Jesus looked, do the things that, that he did? Like how do we get people moving in that direction? But first we have to define it and we have to know what it is. And so how do we make mature disciples and what do mature disciples look like? Well, there's a study that helps out with this and it was called the Transformational Discipleship Assessment or TDA, Transformational Discipleship Assessment. And basically they described a disciple as somebody who does roughly eight things. You might have your own list. It might be a little different, but this is what it is. The first is that they, they engage with the Bible. We'll throw them up there. They engage with the Bible. So they have Bible engagement. Second, they practice obeying God and denying self. And by the way, we just went over this. Like Jesus says this is the key of life. And I don't have time to teach on this anyways, but, but what we believe, by the way, because, like, I mean, this sounds like, this sounds like so hard sometimes because it, it, it is at different times. But if you've been born again and if you're keeping step with the Spirit, what actually happens is you desire, you desire to obey God. You, you still have sometimes the flesh nature, and so they're at war with one another. But you can, you, like, when the Spirit is at move, uh, 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 moving in your life, like, it, it's not like always, I'm just not trying hard here. Like, this is, this is something that you, you want to do. And then third, uh, serving God and obeying others. So this is kingdom work. Jesus preached the gospel. He taught the Bible. He, he prayed. He cast out demons. He fixed social ills. He ate and drank with people who were far from God. He fought religious hypocrisy and pride and spoke truth to power. Like this was Jesus. This is what he is doing. This is how he's serving God and serving others and advancing the kingdom, sharing Christ with people exercising faith, like are you trusting God, people are trusting God who are following Jesus, seeking God, they're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, they're building relationships with each other, and they're unashamed, in other words, they're, they're transparent about their faith, they're not afraid, they're unashamed of the gospel and of Jesus, now, that's a lot there, so we sum this up, we, our mission is to love God and love people, you could throw that, like, if you just put those things up there, like, that would, that would work, love God, and love people, and all of those things, I believe, would take place. So this is what we would call, that's what we would call like output um, there. That's what disciples look like. That's what they're doing. My, that's kind of our goal, but I can't just put Mimi Klotz up here and say, hey, uh, like, I, I don't just produce Mimi Klotz, okay? There's some, there's some inputs that have to take place. There's a, a life, there are things that have gone into her life that have helped produce her faith. And to be honest, as a pastor, as a shepherd, my goal is to think about, okay, how do we get more Mimi Klotzes and different people's skin with different people's personalities, right, that look like Jesus? Because really Mimi Klotz is 
I don't want you to look like Mimi Klaus. I want you following after Jesus, right, with your own personality, um, your own gifts, all of those sorts of things. But, like, how do I, how do I produce that? And, and in a real simple way, it's, it's trying to lead you in, per, in, in spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. And these aren't how you earn God's favor. They're not how you earn God's grace. But they are how you experience it in a very real way. Okay? And so these are how you are, these are the things that enable you to be, a, let me put it this way, a godly person or a real disciple. This is why we've just come out of 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's important for us to teach you how to pray. So the study, what it showed, is that there are a number of things that have the greatest impact on your life. In other words, inputs, that if you, if you do them, you'll grow spiritually. Like, y- you, will, you will become a disciple. You, you are going through the discipleship process, and here they are. Here they are, as basically, like, kind of follows, as the study showed, probably the most impactful. The first is studying your Bible. Uh, the, the study showed that the greatest, like, the thing that had the highest output um, in the, the TDA was studying your Bible. And what they found is that you are more like, the more you study your, like, the more days, excuse me, like, you don't want to spend all day studying the Bible unless you're, like, a Bible scholar. I'll just tell you that, right? You have to do things with your faith. Um, so Jason Varner's allowed to study the Bible all day. Um, the rest of us aren't. But we, we should be in the Word. And the people who do, they are more likely to obey God, serve others, share Christ, exercise faith. Studies have further found, this is crazy, that loneliness drops, alcoholism drops, spiritual stagnation drops, marriage improves, and I'll just say this in here, like, people look at pornography less, like, just from studying your Bible. Second was regular church attendance, was regular church attendance. Third was participation in small groups or classes. Fourth, and this surprised everybody I was reading who kind of wrote about the study, said this, this is the one that surprised them the most was confession of sin. Um, and last week you kind of saw us going through that and, and saw some people experiencing on some confession and prayer. And honestly, I just, I just think this helps people live transparent lives like, and lives where they understand like, hey, I, I, can, I, can, I have people I can tell what I'm going through, what I'm struggling with, and they're still going to love me. Like, they're still going to be there for me. They're still going to pray for me. And some of this is, for us, like, this just scares us because we think, like, all the time, like, you're just, like, you know, pouring your heart out, these deep, dark secrets all the time. Sometimes confession of sin is like, yeah, I have no idea what to do in my marriage right now. And what I am doing is messing it up. Like, and you have people there who can help and walk you through that. And then prayer. Prayer is extremely important to institute in your life. So these are all practices that get certain results. These are the inputs that get certain results. For us as a church, then, we have to think about, okay, if these are the inputs, if this is what people kind of need to do or what we need to do to disciple other people, what, what do we then do as a church to try to disciple? Like what kind of structures, what kind of plans do we need as a church to get there? And so I, I'm just, this sermon really is about, it is it's trying to challenge you but while at the same time, I'm also just basically trying to tell you, like, why we do what we do as a church, if that makes sense. And so our goal is to move you towards maturity and for you to, to be a disciple and to make disciples of others. And so we have big things that we do that we believe are uh, connected to these bigger outputs that help people get to the place that we want them 
to go. And so here they are. And by the way, like these, these will change maybe throughout the years that I'm here if they're not getting the results that we want them to get. Um, because this is, this is a strategy. This is, this is, these are inputs for us when it comes to discipleship. We have Sunday morning services. I know this is a surprise to all of you. Uh, but, but they're here for a reason. Like this, is, this is not just a ritual. It is a ritual. It's a discipline. It's something that we do. But it's more than that. We, we are coming here together to experience the presence of God, to, to worship God through song, through community, through Bible teaching, through testimonies, through prayer with one another. And hopefully you are motivated to follow Jesus throughout the rest of your week. Like it, it's, it's here because, it, because what we're told is it works if it's done well. I know that's crazy, but this is what we see people being edified by. Second, are our catalyst communities. Now, our catalyst communities, I mean, they basically think of small groups if you've ever been anywhere, ever heard of small groups, but these are, these are groups of people, probably 12 or more, like families getting together, couples getting together, friends getting together, coming together to do community with one another and to build one another up. We are told as Christians that we will be known by our love for one another. Like that's, that's how we're told we'll be known. My, my son actually the other day, he goes, Dad, because I told him like uh, early Christians didn't have churches or anywhere to meet. And he said, well, how did the early church start? And I said, they met at home. And I said, we still do that. And he's like, we do? I was like, yeah, we have a Catalyst community every week, son. Uh, and, and he's like, oh. So these, these are where you're, you're building relationships. You're welcomed in into relationships. And by the way, we have, we have made these extremely easy to be a part of and lead. We, I'm even going to kind of be ending my, our, ser- our services basically by telling, like giving people even questions and stuff after the end of our sermon. Like, hey, here, you can talk about this at your Catalyst communities. Because you can go to your Catalyst community, you have food, you have fellowship, you have fun, you have friends, all of those sorts of things. And you're going you're to discuss what we discussed here uh, on Sunday morning. And here's two simple questions that we just ask people to think about. What did the Holy Spirit tell you during the service? It might not even come from me, right? It may have come during the worship si- service. And the second is what are you going to do about it, right? What are you going to do about it? And w- so you can, like, some of you are thinking, I could never lead that. Yes, you can. Like, there's, this is so easy. It's so easy to do. A third are our discipleship communities, or our discipleship groups, excuse me. Our discipleship groups are smaller groups. They're, they're like guys with guys, gals with gals, two to, two to five people. And what we encourage you to do in these are get together, and then there's a, there's a super simple plan that you do with these as well. You get either a Lectio Divina book over here, um, which tells you what that is. I don't have time to explain it right now. Um, or the Banding Together book, and both of those will get you in the Bible every day. So there's your Bible reading. And not only that, they'll guide you through the process of your daily devotions and prayer time. So there's your Bible reading, there's your prayer time, and then you're meeting with people and you have an opportunity to let people know how you are doing and get real with one another. Um, if you need to confess something, it's, those are supposed to be safe communities where you can do that. And so we're trying to, can you see how we're setting our church up so that we can try to have the greatest amount of impact on, on people? And then third, or fourth, excuse me, are serve teams. Now, I believe that serving is both an input and an output. And a lot of you know what I mean. Uh, Pastor Nate talks about this all the time when they planted the church. Uh, when the guys would come together and everybody would come together before the services to set everything up, how that galvanized people and made them feel a part of something. And many of you know this, by the way, too, and if you don't, you do now, is that 
most people actually learn by doing, not by being told something. And so this is why, like, some of you, 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 you actually might be a, a good teacher. Like, you might be a coach in the community. You might be a teacher in the community or whatever, but you're afraid to teach the kids the Bible. Like, you want to learn the Bible, teach your kids the Bible. Honestly. Like, that's how, that's how you learn. And, and if, you know, if, if you want to, like, hear, like, if you want to help teach your kids the Bible, we would love to have you serve and do that. Uh, see Heather right after the service, okay? And then finally... Um, there are just what we call on-ramps within the life of the church. And these are basically any other ministry that we do. Here are some big ones. Um, women's ministry and men's ministry. Our women's ministry is killing it right now. Our men's ministry is starting to ramp up and trying to kind of get their feet underneath them. Uh, we have a class called Alpha that we offer in the fall. And these are for people who um, are contemplating what it looks like to follow Jesus and who Jesus is. And then we have Discover class, which I'm teaching here in two weeks. It follows the service. And what we do is I go over some of what I just went over here this morning. But we invite people to join the mission and to, to kind of get on board with us here at uh, Catalyst. And that's what I'm asking you guys to do this morning. Uh, this is a super simple message. Um, I, wanted to, I want you to see what we are doing, why we are doing, because we, we are the church. We, we are moving in a particular direction, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. And I hope that what you will do is that you will find Jesus at work in your life as you join, and as you join the mission and become a part of your mission. I, I hope you'll see that, yeah, like really to, to give your life to Jesus is actually to experience, experience life, to actually like challenge Jesus in that promise there, like challenging minute. See if, see if your life doesn't get better, doesn't have more meaning, doesn't have more purpose, doesn't have more peace when you give it to him. Uh, some of you might be here today, and Jesus is calling you to come and follow him. Here's what you need to know, more than anything, is that Jesus loves you. We, we don't love God. We don't love God just like we just don't try to love God. He first loved us. Jesus came and lived a life that we should have lived and a life that we are striving to live, but we fall short. He died the death that we should have died on the cross. And on the third day, he rose again. And he promises everlasting life to whoever believes in him. And that is the starting point for everybody. Is to believe and trust in Jesus for life. And so I'm calling you to that more than anything else. And here's the thing. I believe that if Jesus is calling you to follow him, he will make that evident in your life. That's not necessarily on me. That's on the Spirit of God working in you. And so pay attention to that, if that's you. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to explain what we're going to do for communion here. Father, I thank you for this church. I honestly, I mean, I just, when I get to stand up here, I get to look at everybody's faces. Um, and uh, I'm thankful for the people that are here. Um, you know, I know so many of them, and so uh, I really do love them and appreciate them. And uh, I pray that they know that. I pray more than anything that each person in this room knows that you love them. And that we're not, we don't, even all these things that I talked about doing, you, you love us even when we don't. You just want us to experience your goodness and your grace. You do call us to be on mission for you. 
And so I, I pray, Father, that people would be on mission for you, that they would see themselves as a part of something bigger than themselves, that they're a part of your church, not just this congregation, but disciples all across the world. I pray for those who may have come in here this morning, Father, and they're looking for direction. They're looking for life. I pray that they would find it for you through you, that they would give their lives to you right now, that they know they are, they are loved by you, you have died for them, that you have risen from them, and through your son, Jesus Christ, they can have eternal life. And I pray this, Father, in Jesus' holy and precious name, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.